been a few weeks since we were in the Gospel of Luke, but we'll be back there this morning. If you will, grab your Bible or open up the app, whatever it takes, to get to uh, Luke chapter 8, to get that passage before you this morning. Uh, and since it's been a while, just a quick reminder, the last thing we saw was the, the uh, sinful woman who, who shows up at the house of the Pharisee and pours out ointment on Jesus' feet as this response to what Christ has done, you know, forgiveness in her life. Uh, and, and so we're picking up after that. It is a, a change of... Uh, venue after that anyway, but uh, just so you know where we're coming out of there. So uh, let's, well, we got a lot to cover. Let's just jump in today. Uh, Luke chapter 8, and we're beginning in verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their, out of their, their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to see him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rocks are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience." The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Mighty God, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the Holy Spirit working through Luke to record these events in the life of our Savior. We thank you for the hope we find in these precious words. Lord, give us ears to truly hear this morning, to receive your word for for the glory of your name and for the sanctification of our own souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see right there at the beginning, Jesus is traveling. He's going through both large cities and small villages. And he has this group of traveling companions that go with him. I list them there, the 12. That's the 12 apostles he's talking about. And then we see that Luke, you know, carried along by the Holy Spirit, found it important for us to know that there were some women within this small group of Jesus' traveling companions with him. These are women who, having experienced the power of Jesus in their life, follow him so that they can serve him and so that they can learn from him. 
And the fact that it says that they can learn from him is hugely significant because other rabbis at that time, other teachers did not permit a woman to come and to learn from them. And here our Lord is doing so. In this group, we, we see a few names. Mary Magdalene, you're probably f- familiar with. And, and, and then there's Joanna, who's, whose husband was the household manager of Herod, right? And here she is out following the Lord Jesus. Uh, one of the things we know from that is she would have had some wealth with her to be able to provide for this group. And, and then he, he says, many others, all who have received so much from Jesus, and we see that they, they are so glad to, to use their lives to give back to the Lord. We, we, we see this list, and I know we go through it pretty quickly, but these women should, be, should encourage and inspire every single one of us as they're, they're not seeking the, the glory or, or gain from themselves, but rather they're seeking this opportunity for their lives to be poured out in the service of the Lord. See, whoever God has generously given, or whatever God has generally given us, whether we're talking about earthly gold or, or just compassionate hearts or skills or abilities, whatever it might be, we are called to use these gifts in His service and for His glory. As J.C. Ryle has so beautifully said, true love will count it a pleasure to give anything to the object loved. And so then Jesus begins teaching this parable, right? A, a parable of such. He, uh, and to help you picture it, what we learn from Matthew 13 and Mark 4, another area where this is actually recorded, the same story is recorded, uh, they're beside water, right? The, the, the sea there. And, and the crowd becomes so large that Jesus steps into this boat and gets out a little while. And so he's teaching to this crowd out in front of him while he's on a boat. And, and, and Jesus tells a story. And, and, and if we're honest, you look at this story... It's not a very interesting story. I mean, I mean, think about it. How is this story going to fly as a bedtime story to your children tonight? So farmer throws a bunch of seeds out. Some of them grow. Most of them don't. Go to bed. Mom, that, that's, that's not really a story. Come back. Uh, you know, it, it's not a great story. It kind of makes me wonder how, how the original crowd would have received this because here's the famed Jesus. They've been hearing so much about how amazing his, his teaching is and the way he's healing things. And, and here they come right before him and he tells this really underwhelming story. And, 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 and then he kind of just drops the mic when he, when he says that last phrase, when he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's it. That's the end, right? But there's this, this smaller group of disciples around him that get to, to ask him stuff. And you can imagine the conversation. You ask him. You ask him. And, and eventually someone asks Jesus, right? We see it there in verse 9. He's, they're asking, Lord, what does that story mean? What are you talking about? Only instead of storing their story, they call it a parable. See, a parable has, has often been described as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In other words, the story is an allegory meant to make listeners think deeper about what Jesus is saying. And when Jesus is explaining why he's speaking in a parable, he, he says something that really is unexpected there in verse 10. Isn't it? You see, the parables are to intentionally hide from some people what God is revealing to other people. That's odd. As he explains it, he actually quotes from Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. You, you might recall that reference, if you've ever been anywhere near Isaiah, right? Uh, you might recall that, that these are the verses that come right after that, that woe is me, glorious vision uh, of seeing God on his throne, right? 
Where God asks the question, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Now, and we usually stop there and we think, what a glorious missionary thing. He's going out to be a missionary. I can only imagine how much people love to hear his message and what a joyful thing it was to be. Right? But that's not really what happens. If you read on, right, you know, if you keep reading in Isaiah, you see that God gives Isaiah one of the strangest, unexpected commissions you'd ever expect. In that Isaiah passage, listen to this. God says, go and say to this people... Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. God is sending Isaiah out with a message that is more of a judgment. This is a hardening of the hearts of these prideful people. See, this Isaiah passage is actually quoted in the New Testament six times, more than any other passage uh, in the New Testament. And every single time it's referring to the hardened heart of the Jewish audience. But that's what's reality. And here we see Jesus is purposely then speaking in a way that the self-righteous Pharisees will not receive what he's revealing. And he knows that. In a sense, this is a, a parable of parables. This is a, a parable then how we receive the word of God. Now you've heard the story. It's pretty simple, right? The, the story is about sowing. And, and children, if you're here and you're hearing that word sowing and you haven't figured out already, when, when you sow something, it's to take a seed and to plant it into the soil. Uh, right? That, that's what it's talking about. Now, I, I remember the, the first time that uh, I saw Ryan Sear wearing a K-State soil judging team shirt. And, and I laughed, if not out loud, at least internally, because I thought, there can't seriously be a soil judging team. Can there? I, I thought, surely this is one of those pretend shirts just designed to make people laugh. And, and I really thought that because in college I had bought at this thrift store this shirt that said, stop plate tectonics, with a big explanation point, like it was a political statement. Um, real big. And it was a joke. And I would always know who the geology students were. You can't stop plate tectonics. It's just the plates moving in the earth. Uh, but I'd always know the geology students because they would laugh. I had one guy one day try to buy it off my shirt, right? Like buy it from me as I'm walking across campus, um, which I didn't do because I would have to go to class without a shirt. Uh, but anyway, Ryan's soil judging shirt is real. The team actually exists. This is a real thing. And Ryan was part of it. Um, I looked it up. Hopefully this is right the same way y'all did it. But the way I learned about this was what they do is they dig this big pit in a field. And then the contestants get into the pit. Um, and they begin to oil, uh, analyze the soil as they're looking at it. Right? What type of soil is this? What's the clay content? Uh, did a cow wander into the onions? That sort of thing. All these like things they analyze this stuff. because uh, And it's important though. The soil judging is really important because while the seed itself is important, the soil it's planted into is of huge significance to the growth of that seed. And so as Jesus then explains this story, he says the seed is the word of God. Meaning Jesus is teaching, right? That's the word of God. The scriptures, we have them. This, this is the seed, the word of God. And, and the soil in the story represents the state of a particular human heart. And so then 
The gospel's proclaimed, the gospel proclaimed is a seed that will sprout and grow into a fruit-bearing plant of faith and salvation if planted into soil of a heart that God has prepared to receive it. Now, as we look at these four soil types, I, I want to give a little bit of, of direction on how we approach this because, uh, well, the first one's this. First, the temptation for us is going to be to think that each one of us, we are on the Manhattan Press soil judging team, right? And we're going to go about and judge other people's soil, right? Judge their hearts. Uh, you know, Uncle Louie. Uncle Louie is definitely uh, soil of the path. Nothing's going to happen there. My friend Teresa, she, she is more like filled with thorns. I can see it. That's going to be your temptation is to think about other people. And, and there might be a place for that in your life at some point. But for now, I want us to focus on the soil of our own hearts. Just as, as Jesus wants his original audience there to be thinking about their own hearts. Also, I know if you're a Christian, you, you may be tempted to think, oh, this is about salvation, right? And my faith is in Jesus. I must be the good soil then. And, and then it's easy to think, I have nothing to learn here. Right? I already received it well. Um, this doesn't apply to only the first time you hear the gospel, right? It has to do with every time we, we hear God's word, whether in corporate worship, together as a family, a Bible study, reading it with your coffee in the early morning, whatever it might be. And so we need to begin thinking this. How do I receive God's word now? You know, how, how, do, how do you receive God's promises? Like Romans 8, 28, that, that God is working all things for your good. How do you receive that? How do you receive God's commands in scriptures? Like Philippians 2.14, which calls you to do all things without complaining and arguing. How, how do we receive that? We, we, we tend to, to do a, a great deal of critiquing, you know, on, on the, the way the word is preached or, or taught, right? It's easy to walk out and kind of just give a critique or whatever you've listened to. And, and you should. There's a place for that. But uh, we also, with, with the same... Uh, and just as often, really, help us to see in this passage that we should put just as much thought into what it means to be good hearers of the word. How do I receive the word? So let's look at the soils. The first soil is identified as the path. The seed is good, have no doubt about that. But the soil is packed down from endless foot traffic along this path. And it's, hard, uh, it's so hard then that the seed doesn't actually penetrate the dirt and get into it. They just sit on the surface of this packed dirt uh, rather than being in the soil. And the birds in this story are depicted as the devil who devours the seed that are uh, just sitting on the packed soil. And thus it grows nothing at all. See, this is why some people hear the gospel many times and never respond or they reject it outright immediately. We even learn here what Satan's motivation is. There in verse 12, we see it uh, so that they may not believe and be saved. That's why he wants to snatch the word away from us. Now, now take note here. The devil is an enemy. Not as powerful of God, not the way we, we see it in pop culture, uh, but he is a real enemy who will do whatever is in his power to keep men and women from receiving the word of God. This devouring the seed then is going to take many forms in our life, right? It's hard to know exactly what this looks like, but, but likely something along the lines of uh, using things like distractions, sleepiness, Right? Come on in exhausted or open your Bible while you're exhausted. You, you, you feel, you see it's just not the same when you're reading through it. 
or, or maybe distracted by the, the sound of a buzzing air conditioner in the background or notifications buzzing in our pockets or, or, or that way that we try to keep some task list and focus in our mind uh, while we're trying to, to hear the word spoken or taught or preached. So let us ask here with this first one, is, is my heart softened so that the word of God can penetrate it? The second type of soil that we see here is called the rock. And in, in, in Palestine, or Palestine, much of the land is, is this hard rock on the, on the, underneath, and there's about two inches of soil on, on top of it. Now, that's enough soil for the seed to germinate and sprout, but not enough, uh, not deep enough for it to really develop the necessary root system for it to flourish. Uh, the person that receives the gospel, this person rather, receives the gospel with joy, and, and that's a good thing. Genuine faith is going to involve our emotions, but it's got to be deeper roots than mere emotion. Uh, one of my professors in seminary, Sinclair Ferguson, warned us, saying, A response to the gospel that is exclusively joyful may well not be a response that is lasting. How many individuals have you known or have you gone to camp with or a conference who walked down an aisle, prayed the sinner's prayer, only to walk away from their faith when their vibrant emotions begin to fade away. See, the key to understanding what, what's happening here then is, is there in verse 13 at the very end that mentions this time of testing. You see, following Jesus seems easy at first. Anyone who came to faith at a, a later date, you, you know this. But, but then, you know, it, it gets a little more difficult. Maybe, maybe she, she meets some professing Christians who are just cruel and unexpectedly cruel to her. Or maybe he learns that he's still struggling with the same sins. Or he faces persecution of some sense. Or something terrible happens in life and you just wonder, how could God permit this to happen? Terrible things happen and then their profession proves to be a casual belief instead of a deeply rooted faith. Kent Hughes beautifully said this, he said, Affliction, like the sun, brings growth to roots in good soil, but withers all shallow professions of faith. Many, many years ago now, uh, there was a teenage boy that Laura and I watched excitedly come to faith in Christ and profess his faith, and he was so full of joy, and, and we, just, we just saw the seed sprout in his life. And, and he, he even enrolled, when it was time to go to college, he enrolled to go to this college that trained students for ministry, uh, but then came this temptation. For, for him, it was a, a sinful desire that remained a, a greater influence in his life, a, a greater desire to him than, than Jesus and his word. And instead of fighting that, with shallow roots that he had, he, he withered under the gleaming son of temptation and ultimately fell away. At least to this day, has not returned. Our hearts remain absolutely broken every time we think of him. And a number of other people in our lives that have, have gone through something similar. Church, remember, remember, one of the marks of true faith is perseverance. If God gives the gift of true faith, God will sustain your faith until your death, until the end. Meaning those who eventually do abandon the faith, sadly, Terribly, sadly, never truly possessed it. So, so Christian, I, I need you to know something. I, I need you to know that your life in Christ is going to be difficult at times. 
That, that's reality. It's going to be difficult. You are going to suffer at some point. I, I need you to know that if you're following Jesus, you are going to seem really weird to your classmates and to your co-workers at times. You're going to be different. That's just reality. That that's, comes with following Jesus. So, so don't be surprised then. Uh, don't be surprised by how awkward that's going to feel at times. And embrace that. Just know that that's part of it. And so then here I want us to consider, has the gospel penetrated my heart deeper than a mere two inches? Are there roots growing? The third, third soil type is infested with thorns. It's a, thorns. It's a, a type of fast-growing weeds. Every gardener that's ever gardened anything has experienced weeds. They come in and they begin to deprive the good plants that you're trying to grow uh, by taking water and nutrients and blocking sunlight. And it results in weak plants, right? That uh, much of the fruit never ripens, like it says here. This is the person who has no objection to the gospel's claims, the teachings of it, right? No, no objection to any of the doctrines of it or the ethics. These, these people may even desire some, or have some desire to have strong faith. They, they have some desire to receive God's word and obey it. But then slowly, little by slowly, Little by little, they begin to care too much about other things. It's like the frog in the pot placed upon the burner. These thorns grow, but we don't notice them growing until they're everywhere. See, the thorns that choke the word from our life, Jesus refers to here as as three things, right? The, The cares of life, the riches of life, the pleasures of life. And what's striking about these categories is that these aren't sinful things. To, to quote J.C. Ryle again, he says, Blatant sin is not the only thing that ruins souls. Or as Hannah Anderson in her book, Humble Roots, points out, For many people, pleasure and wealth is just a way to deal with life in a hostile world. See, there's something else going on here. Both, both pleasure and wealth can be a good gift of God that is enjoyed with gratitude. But, but not if it chokes out the priority of God's word in our life. You know, sharing a glass of wine on the porch with your spouse while, while watching the sunset, that can be a, a wonderful experience that you receive with, with gratitude to the Lord. But it can also be the place where you're going just to numb yourself from the experiences of pain in the world. Uh, my, my friend Brad Miller, he's a pastor out in California, he, says, uh, he said this, he said, It's no less dangerous to live in a country where the faithful are persecuted than it is to live in a country of affluence and prosperity. Do you ever feel that? I mean, for some of us, consumerism is more likely to distract us from the word of God than the pursuit of some shameful, terrible sin. Just general consumerism. Just just one more intriguing tech gadget. Another interesting story in a novel or on a screen. One more piece of clothing for the wardrobe. There are so many amazing products that we can purchase today, you know, or services we can partake in that distract us like a a constant low-grade headache. As many have said, we we here in America are, are so prone to be buying things we do not need to impress people we do not like with money we do not have. And here's the thing about stuff, right? Just stuff. Stuff uh, all comes, you know, with it comes the cares of life. 
Because everything we own requires some sort of maintenance on it, right? That you have to start working for it, right? Change the oil, update the software, charge the battery, mow the yard, fix whatever was broken on that kid's toy, change the filter, right? But before long, we find ourselves spending so much time taking care of the nice things that we bought to improve our life. Um, but last fall, we, we bought a $350 inflatable hot tub just for the winter. Uh, and, and the idea was that would be incredibly relaxing, and in one sense it was. Uh, now I know you're thinking that's incredibly classy, that your pastor has an inflatable hot tub. <laughs> and like I said, in one sense it was pretty great, but it also required uh, cleaning the filters, changing the filters. We had to have the water taken out, taken to a place to be tested so we'd know the right chemicals to put into it. I had to go out every single morning and reset the temperature because it had a 24-hour auto turnoff. Uh, option on it. Uh, otherwise, it would lose all its heat. I, I found like I had become the personal assistant to this hot tub, which we had bought as a means of, of finding relaxation in our life. That's the way stuff tends to work. And it's, if that's the only thing in my life, no big deal. But these worldly cares begin to add up. We're enthralled by the, you know, by the TV or social media or blogs or keeping up with sporting events. You know, trying to improve our, our health and fitness. We are so distracted by the ceaseless moments of instant gratification that we fail to nurture our souls with the glorious word of God. That's where the cares of the world come in. See, we, we are this soil when the word of God is in our life. And yet it's only out on the margins of our life. For this person, it doesn't seem to matter then how many sermons they hear. It doesn't seem to matter how great the preacher, how wonderful the Bible study was. You know, they derive no benefit because their life remains unchanged by the word. And Jesus here says that this type of heart, their fruit does not mature. That's the way he puts it. Right? You can see a plant of some sort, but the fruit does not mature. You ever, you ever tried immature fruit? It, it's not the goal of farming, right? No one really wants to deliver immature fruit. Because, you, you know, if you ever taste it, it's disgusting. Right? You, you take your kids to pick blackberries or, or strawberries. and you, What are you doing with the green berry? Put that back. You can't put it back. Um, <laughs> it's terrible. You know, so as Hebrews 6 1 tells us, let us press on to maturity. And we'll see then what, what this maturity looks like as we look at this last soil then. There in verse 15, you see it, our Lord says this. He says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. God's word sowed into the good soil of the heart grows into a vibrant faith that produces mature fruit of the Spirit in both, of our, both our hearts and in our lives. See, the heart which truly hears the word of God is the heart that both believes the word of God and does the word of God. Meaning, not perfectly. Don't ever think that. Well, all I mean by that is changes happen. Where repentance is needed, repentance happens. Stronger faith, right? And the promises of God, it, it happens. A, a willing and joyful pursuit of obedience, it happens. The, the good soil is a, a heart that holds on to God's word, having been made good by the grace of God to begin with. And so, here's the thing about this parable. Every one of us is in this parable somewhere. 
And this should cause us to, to ponder some, some serious questions, you know. How are you hearing the Word of God? How, how am I really hearing the Word of God? Is my love of the Lord growing? Is my treatment of others becoming kinder? More in the way that God calls me to. Have, have the cares of life become a distraction from the work that God is doing in my life through His Word? Or this one. Is, is the knowledge of God's grace to you deep-rooted in a place where you are finding true rest for your soul? That's something the Word does in our life. We tend to only think of it in terms of improving our lives, right? Making us more sanctified. But part of that is just learning to rest in the grace of the Lord. Is your heart, uh, if your heart is truly good soil, be grateful to the Lord. Don't presume upon that. Be grateful. But, but if you're concerned it may not be, Pray and ask God to soften the soil of your heart, to receive the good seed of His Word, not, not just once to believe it, right? But, but, you know, to just believe the basic tenets of the Gospel, but, but daily to believe the robust, the whole Gospel is revealed throughout the entirety of the Scriptures. I've got one more aspect I want us to see here. If you, if you think about this, this sower here, how many of you see this and you just think, this guy is incredibly inefficient. He needs a better system for what he's doing. I, I imagine, right, I, I haven't gone out and watched it, but I imagine our resident farmer, Bill Boyce here, doesn't drive down the road just throwing alfalfa out onto the gravel road as he goes, thinking, I wonder how this is going to turn out. Um, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine he plants only into a prepared field. And... Um, now, that's the way we tend to think of as Americans, farmers. I, I, I can remember, though, not too long ago, being on a mission trip in Guatemala, way up in the, in the mountains, and, and seeing farmers that looked a lot more like what Jesus is talking about in the story, where they, they sowed seeds along these paths that were right up to the paths, really, is what it was, but surely it fell on the paths as well. Uh, these paths that people took up to get around the region. In fact, when you think about Jesus doing, and it's likely that there were farmers out actually sowing. He's, he's drawing from things he can, he can see, and, and, you know, with an eyesight. So, so anyway, though, in our story here, I want us to take notice that this doesn't teach us to only sow the seed of God's word into the good soil. Right? So, so when you're talking to Uncle Louie and, and, and you've got your, you know, soil judging team shirt on and you've decided Uncle Louie is clearly a path that doesn't mean you just yeah that's no place to sow you know the sower here sows indiscriminately and Jesus isn't chastising the sower for for wasting seed on the rock he he isn't instructed to only sow the word into the good hearts and and that's because you don't know the true condition of someone's heart you don't know and even if you thought you knew it yesterday, you might not know what God's been doing in the soil of his heart in the meantime. You don't know what it is at any moment. And so scatter a generous, you know, generous handful of the holy word of God into the soil of every heart you know. Resting in the truth that it is the Lord and not you who is responsible for the harvest. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.6, I planted, Apollos watered, but... God gave the growth. Church, we are sowers. 
There's one thing we could grow in that really would make a huge difference if we would just learn to be sowers. Sowing into our own hearts, sowing into the hearts of our families, into, uh, sowing into the hearts of each other, our, our neighbors, our friends, our enemies, and into every soil that we know. Listen, we, we have an endless supply of gospel seed. There is no shortage. So I just want to close then with those words of our Lord in this passage that we already read where he says this. He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father God, oh, may we be the good soil. We, we can't make ourselves the good soil, Lord, but you can make us good soil. And we ask for that. May your word not fall upon a path within us where the devil devours it. And may your word not land upon rocks within us where roots cannot grow. May your word not be choked out by the thorns of worldly cares and the pleasures of life. Lord, transform our hearts this day so that the soil of our souls be good soil, where your word grows and produces wonderful, sun-ripened fruit of the Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.